It's Muppeturgy, and here we come again with a very special episode about the Leslie Uggams and Big Bird of Sesame Street episode of The Muppet Show! Yay! Welcome back, everyone. Happy New Year. The future is so bright, I'm doing this podcast wearing shades. <laughs> That's for all my fellow Gen Xers out there. Anyway, I'm so <laughs> glad you're here with us. This is David Levy. Here with me tonight are... Adam Grossworth. Michal Richardson. And Christy Bauer. Oh, good. Terrific! It's about time we had some sophistication on this show. <laughs> we got a lovely email from listener Jim Cruz, who said, uh, this is about the Leslie Ann Warren episode. He says, back in 2001, my siblings and I chipped in together for Mother's Day to take our mom to see Billy Joel and Elton John during their face-to-face tour. Billy did, in fact, perform Just the Way You Are. So you could pretty easily feel he couldn't get through it without throwing in jokes. He introduced the song simply by saying, here's something I wrote for my first ex-wife. And he made sure he overemphasized one line he changed from, I couldn't love you any better to, I couldn't love you any longer. Yikes. <laughs> I wish I could remember the song Elton played immediately after. All I do remember is him introducing it as, well, here's one I wrote for my first ex-husband. I have a feeling that we have perhaps misunderstood the question. This was in the show notes for the Leslie and Warren episode, but I suspect many of you don't read them despite our repeated entreaties, so I'm going to say it out loud, too. Uh, In that episode, I wondered if Larry Grossman and Alan Menken had a mutual antecedent for their Beauty and the Beast compositions, and I suspected it might be the score from the 1946 French film version. It turns out a more likely answer is the aquarium section of Carnival of the Animals by Saint-Saëns. So Alan Menken has actually spoken about drawing inspiration from that piece for his score. And it's hard to hear that and not immediately hear the links between that piece and the two beauties and beasts. So I think we solved that puzzle. So uh, some exciting uh, news in Muppeturgy land for all of you super fans. Uh, we now have merch. Exciting news. Very exciting news. Just in time for the holidays in, in January. <laughs> when we're recording, yes. Hey, when they're hearing all it. your Martin Luther King Jr. Day and two Bishavat needs. Mm. And this is why you should follow us on social media, because we're recording this in early December. <laughs> Dress your friendly local tree in a t-shirt that says Muppeturgy. <laughs> um, yeah, so we have a store set up at Tea Public, And the great thing about Tea Public is not only can you like pick the type of, like, shirt you want or you can also pick the color and it doesn't have to be a shirt our various designs are on stickers and notebooks and mugs and you know sky's the limit so we've got some things that i think those of you who've been listening for a while will get a kick out of where can they find it oh that's a very good question adam thank you it's at muppeturgy.com slash store is the easiest way to get there but also if you go to t public and just search muppeturgy it'll direct you in the general right area here is a muppet news flash 
We are here this week to talk about Season 3, Episode 18 of The Muppet Show. It was produced the week of December 5th, 1978, and it aired on February 12th, 1979, President's Day, another holiday you could buy our merch for. It was number 18 in the air order between Danny Kaye and Harry Belafonte. That's how I ranked it, too. Hey! In my rankings of episodes. (laughs) Between Danny Kaye, like six from the bottom, and Harry Belafonte in the top three. This one's somewhere in there. So there was a, there's an ad, there's one ad outside of the TV section that caught my eye. It was for a book. The headline was, if you think last year was bad, wait until this year. <laughs> and the book was called How to Prosper During the Coming Bad Years, A Crash Course in Personal and Financial Survival. How biblical. 1979. Yikes. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Yikes. Uh, there's also a really good uh, ad for a camera store uh, for a President's Day sale, because it is president's day uh that was just very the past and uh, we'll share that in the show notes on the Cashbox pop charts uh number one is rod stewart's die i think i'm sexy uh <laughs> the number one album was uh the same blondes have more fun also rod stewart uh number five was a little more love by olivia newton john a song i thought i didn't know until i played it and got to the chorus and was like oh yes i do know this and it's amazing uh and added it to my itunes immediately uh, number 17, Don't Cry Out Loud. Number 19, The Gambler. And number 57, I Go to Rio. All upcoming Muppet Show numbers. <laughs> uh, on TV, uh, I have an update on a recent episode. I mentioned wanting to watch some In Search Of, which aired in syndication opposite The Muppet Show or before The Muppet Show now, I forget, on Monday nights. It's not officially available, though the reboot with Zachary Quinto is. Uh, cute, cute casting. But there are multiple playlists on YouTube with hundreds of episodes. And it's pretty good background TV if you're working from home. You can see what turtleneck and blazer combo Leonard Nimoy is wearing. And just let the vibes wash over you. It's real weird. Sometimes it's just nonsense. And then sometimes it's actual science, like earthquakes. But then they have to add nonsense, like predicting what will happen when the big one hits California caused by solar flares. It, it is very 70s. So there's an early episode that is, I think, pretty famous, actually, about Bigfoot. And they show like that famous photo of Bigfoot, like sort of hunched over running through the woods. And I assume everybody has seen uh, that photo. And then an expert says this. Most convincing visual evidence of Bigfoot is a film taken by Roger Patterson in Northern California. Dr. Krantz believes it to be authentic. I've examined the film many times, uh, watching it forward, backward, stop frame, measured, and everything. And all of the anatomy of the creature is perfectly consistent. It just simply does not fit with a man wearing a suit. In fact, a suit of that size, we can establish exactly how big it is. There's no way a man could fit into it. The shoulders and chest are simply too wide. Sir, have you not been watching The Muppet Show? (laughs) (laughs) Come on. I just have so little patience for people who want to search for Bigfoot. There's so many other things you could do that aren't searching for Bigfoot. Sure. And I'm not even saying that I don't believe Bigfoot is out there, but like the idea that that costume is not possible. (laughs) That's the the wrong explanation for there's no Bigfoot. Right. So as I mentioned, we have a lot of ads tonight, which means we know a lot about what is outside of primetime and... Here we go. Uh, At 7 o'clock on ABC World News Tonight, Work, Women, and Sexual Harassment. Part one of a a series 
of three special close-up reports. I was all set to read the blurb from the ad and make fun of it, but it actually sounds pretty solid. They said all the right things, even in 1979. So good job, ABC World News Tonight. You solved it. Good thing that's done with. On Channel 2 News at 6 and 11, at last, college life is back to normal. Fraternity beer busts, toga parties, food fights, college kids jamming into phone booths. Did people really do that? Okay. It was all supposed to have ended in the early 60s, but now a new strain of frat fever is sweeping across our college campuses, not to mention television and movie screens. To find out what's behind the rebirth of fraternity life on campus and what it's like to be a brother or sister, watch Arnold Diaz's special report. Good thing the pandemic is over. We can pile into phone booths again. I mean, well, you should find the phone booth. Just, <laughs> just, like, just why, have, why, though? Was this before I mean, or after Animal House? After. Well, that's why. Sure. I mean, why the phone booth, though? Not why the fraternities. There's oh, well, like, that was the thing that, that they did in <laughs> the 50s. I'm so glad yeah. we got the internet. See how many people you can stuff into a phone booth? I mean, I don't get it, didn't and I get, get it even less now. you were in college? Yeah, but not stuffing into a phone booth <laughs> just sounds unpleasant. Okay, this one's more fun, I promise. Opposite the Muppet Show on Channel 4, new The Guinness Game, based on the Guinness Book of World Records. Wikipedia says this actually started in syndication on September 17th, 1979, so this must have been a test airing. Three contestants were asked to predict if a live record-breaking stunt could be performed or broken by guessing if they would succeed or fail. Stunts that were completed successfully were entered into the next installment of the Guinness Book of World Records, hence the name of the show. There's an episode of this on YouTube, and I just have to share with you what I now believe to be the greatest game show thinking music of all time. If you're ready, please lock in your decisions right now. Bill, good luck. That's not thinking music, that's fucking music. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, that could have been a world record. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, our regular primetime stuff. I think it must have been sweeps, which I'm not sure we've talked about before. And I'm going on and on, so I'll be real brief. But for the children, back in the day, the the networks, there were three, I believe, periods where the ratings mattered more than the rest of the year. And the ratings for those periods would be like used to set the advertising rates for the rest of the quarter or third, I guess, of the year, which is weird because like they would do special programming to goose the ratings. And so I don't know why that then set the ad rates for when the programming was normal. It doesn't really make a ton of sense to me, but they were in um, February and May and I think November. And so I think this must've been a sweeps week because on CBS, Instead of our regular programming, we had Gone with the Wind Part 2. This was a thing before VCRs, where like big movies would just be shown, sometimes broken up into two parts in Lots prime of time. commercials. What? Lots of commercials. Yeah. Also, that movie is long, even without commercials. Well, they also had sequel. TV edits of these. So sometimes, sometimes the TV edits were shorter to accommodate right. commercials. Sometimes they were longer uh, because they needed to fill out the time slot or just to make it more of an event. Like, uh, I mean, for me, the big one for my childhood is the TV cut of Star Trek, the motion picture, which is not necessarily better. I that longer. Right. It's not necessarily better than the original cut, but it sure is different. My by different. I mean, longer. I'm pretty sure that my, my actual earliest memory as of, is of seeing Star Trek, the motion picture in a movie theater. 
is that scene with the Klingons at the beginning. Wow, were, were you, were you being going punished on. for something? <laughs> was I what? <laughs> being punished? Well, I mean, not on purpose, but yes, it was in nah. hindsight, perhaps not a great choice on my parents' part. Yeah, anyway, so that and then Lou Grant after that, because that was two hours. ABC had all-star family feud. The teams were Eight is Enough, Family, Welcome Back Cotter, and The Love Boat, followed by How the West Was Won. Uh, NBC had our friends Little House on the Prairie, uh, episode The Lake Kezia Monster. The children set out to create a monster to scare Mrs. Olsen from foreclosing on an elderly woman's home. Followed by Backstairs at the White House, part three, which we have already discussed, starring Leslie Uggams. Oh, nice segue. Smooth. Good blend. He's mm. <laughs> <laughs> busting out all over. All over the buzzer they detest. They're the fit with bitches, and they hunkin' up for cheapest out of all the morning glory for the fair. Because it's you. you, <laughs> Couldn't not play the whole thing. Could not hear play the whole thing. thing. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, there's actually quite a bit more, but that's the best part. If we had done an episode about Leslie Uggams and some bejeepers had not been hucked, like... <laughs> and we would not have fulfilled our obligation. Exactly. We basically made a promise that bejeepers would be hucked when we started this episode. So... Leslie Uggams is an actress and singer, and depending on your age and sexual orientation, you might know her as Kizzy from Roots, Blind Al from Deadpool, Leah Walker from Empire, or the June is Busting Out All Over Lady from YouTube. Honey, do you know that you are in every gay bar in America? Leslie was born in 1943 in Harlem to a musical family, and by eight years old, she was on TV playing Ethel Waters' niece on the show Baula. Her continued success at an amateur performers' competition at the Apollo Theater led to a regular gig performing there. By age 10, she recorded her first single and made appearances on The Lawrence Welk Show and Sing Along with Mitch. Her gig on Sing Along with Mitch made her the first African-American performer to be regularly featured on a weekly national primetime television series. For those not familiar, the titular Mitch was Mitch Miller, the head of artists and repertoire for Columbia Records. And before long, Leslie had a contract that would lead to 10 albums and a number of hit singles. All the while, she was also studying at Juilliard. In 1967, she starred in the Broadway musical Hallelujah Baby, which made her a star and a Tony Award winner. She would periodically return to the stage throughout her career. The 1970s were all about the screen for Leslie who became the first African-American woman to star in her own musical variety television series, The Leslie Uggam Show, on CBS. She made a number of movies in the 70s, but it was her role in the 1977 miniseries Roots that made her reputation as a dramatic actress. For that performance, she won the Critics' Choice Award for Best Supporting Actress, and she was nominated for both the Emmy and the Golden Globe Awards for Best Leading Actress. Uh, As Adam mentioned, around the time of her Muppet Show appearance, she was also front and center in another television miniseries event, Backstairs at the White House, airing the same night for part three. And we've talked about that before on previous episodes of the podcast, probably much more than it deserves. (laughs) 
On top of everything else I've mentioned, she's had an active concert career that continues to this day. In fact, uh, as we're recording this, she just did some nightclub gigs in New York City. She's worked pretty consistently up to this day across film, TV, theater, and concerts, and everything from comedy to drama to musicals, so I'm not going to list all her credits, but she's great. And if you like her in this episode, you should go look her up and check out her work. Uh, So my first exposure to Leslie Uggams was when I was 10 years old. She had replaced Patti LuPone in Anything Goes on Broadway, and that was one of the very first Broadway shows that my parents took me to. Uh, And so I have always had a particular interest in her career since then because I feel like uh, she had a special role in my life. And I've gotten to see her in a few things since then, and uh, she's always a joy. And in prepping for this episode, I went and sought out one of her albums that uh, I had to buy because it wasn't on Spotify, uh, but it's from 2013. It's called Uptown Downtown, and it's a jazz album. And, you know, I know her primarily from singing show tunes, but she's got, like, legit jazz pipes on her, too. You know, she very much looked up to Lena Horne and played Lena Horne in a musical uh, out west that was supposed to come to Broadway but never did. Uh, and you really feel her channeling kind of the Lena Horne energy in that album. So... I recommend it if you are interested in more Lizzie Uggams and not afraid of putting down a little bit of cash for it. Anyway, what are your thoughts about Lizzie Uggams? Yeah, I love Lizzie Uggams. I did a project uh, when I had a really terrible data entry job about a decade ago where I listened through the cast albums of every single best musical Tony winner. And her performance in Hallelujah Baby on that album is really, really striking. But yeah, but I mean, my my primary association with her is the four hucked bejeepers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> should we explain what that is? I mean, do we need to? No, we should. I think. Okay. <laughs> I mean, very briefly, it's a it's a it's an outdoor performance. Was it Fourth of July? It's something, yeah. and it's it's being televised and. As she explained in the second clip uh, that we played, and this will all be in the show notes, she was she didn't really know the song, and she was reading the lyrics off of cue cards. And the grass was wet. She's walking through the audience towards the stage, and the grass was wet, and the guy holding the cue card slipped and fell, <laughs> and did not get back up. And so she did not know the words. But because it was live television, she had to keep going. And it's actually really a testament to what a pro she is that she kept going, and she pretty much hit all the notes. <laughs> Yeah. She just had to make up the words to do it. Yeah. And and it's it's really worth watching the interview too, which is many years later, and she's such a great sport. And what she she's telling the story and she's like, and no one said anything. I mean, she it's a whole show. So like it's the it's the top of the show. The show kept going, she did the rest of the show, no one said anything. And then years later, YouTube happens and this thing goes viral. And she is a great sport about it. And it's just very, it's very fun. Um, and, and also like first. such she a pro. It out all over. Yeah. Like that she just like not only kept going through the song, but like did, did this entire concert without like even thinking about it. Also that poor cue card guy <laughs> <laughs> just lying there in the grass. <laughs> He's dead now. I sort of thought of her as like one of those 70s names that was just kind of around. And then you look at her IMDb and it's like, oh, Empire. The Good Wife, like all kinds of stuff that I have watched recently. Um, like she is around. I have, you know, definitely seen her in in many, many things. Like, and she's great. <laughs> so that was kind of a fun realization that she just works constantly. Um, a lot of TV um, guest star spots in the last 
decade or so. Yeah. I mean, I, when I saw Deadpool, I was like, oh, it's Muppet Show guest star, Leslie Uggams. <laughs> and also the Huck and the Bejeepers lady, Leslie Uggams. But yes, now I want to listen to more of her music. So, McCall, other than being uh, somewhere in between uh, Harry Belafonte and scrolling back up, so other than being somewhere in between Danny Kaye and Harry Belafonte, what did you think of the episode? <laughs> yes, it's lower than number two and higher than six from the bottom. It's a, it's also bigger than a bread box. Uh, this was a fun episode. I, I had a lovely time. Increasingly, with every watch, I was more disenchanted by the backstage plot. Because Gonzo's pretty creepy. But overall, <laughs> there's a lot of fun to be had in this episode. David? Yeah, I think I liked it slightly more than Michal did, mostly because this backstage plot was uh, excerpted on one of the Muppet compilation videos I had as a kid. And so it was just like instantly familiar to me. So much so that I had to take a minute and think, is this a children's television trope or is it just that i watched this specific sketch over and over and over again both the like i'm gonna faint so that my intended will give me cpr and uh also the whole like i'm bringing you flowers and you're allergic and that causes chaos all of which we'll talk about later but that made such a deep impression on me in my young and impressionable days that uh i think that tilted me towards liking this episode even more i do think those are both tropes but we'll talk about it more later. Christy. Yeah, this one isn't bad. I didn't love it, but I really enjoyed the Leslie Uggams bits. And there were a couple really solid laughs. So yeah, it's a nice middle of the road episode. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with you all. I think I maybe liked it a little better. One thing I noticed is I, th- I think it's the most cohesive episode that we've had, certainly since Pearl Bailey, maybe ever, right? Things things keep popping from backstage to onstage and and vice versa. There's not like a, a plot, but I like that that it feels like we're in the same building where a show is happening the entire time, you know? That always pleases me when that happens. I did feel a little bad for Leslie Uggams. <laughs> Here, let's just play this clip. It's the Muppet Show with our very special guest stars, Leslie Uggams and Big Bird of Sesame Street. Yeah! Now, I'm always happy to see Big Bird, but I like why does she have to share? <laughs> and like we'll get into it more when we talk about the the numbers, but like I don't know, I just kind of wanted more for her like to to let her show off a little more and this may be exactly what she wanted to do, so you know, and she's great at it, but that was like the only bummer for me was that she does a lot of shtick and I kind of wanted her to to really get to show off. You know, I didn't mention this in the bio, but around this time, her kids would have been, I think, five and 10 years old. So Mm -hmm. I wonder if she requested Big Bird for that reason. Well, and I also love that this is this aired on the same night as part three of four of Backstairs of the White House. So which was very serious and very boring. So she maybe wanted to do something goofy, uh, you know, to show her range. So, you know, who who am I to say that she can't do that? But. But for me, I wanted to see her, you know, really, really belt and really, and really dance. But And also, like, outside of that introduction that Kermit gives, where it sounds like she's about going to have to share the spotlight, she doesn't, she's still the guest star. She gets three fabulous musical numbers. And big the, the plot is kind of that Big Bird is wandering around 
Well, but, right. I'm going to I'm going to argue with you about fabulous, but we'll do that when we get there. Nah, okay. She is fabulous. I don't think she is. Fabulous. Yeah. Even without pants. <laughs> Especially without pants. <laughs> Leslie Uggams, 15 seconds to curtain, Miss Uggams. Thank you, Scooter. Uh, it is true that Big Bird from Sesame Street is on the show tonight, right? Well, that's right, Leslie. Well, would you tell him that his younger brother is in my dressing room? <laughs> <laughs> Leslie Uggams is holding an extremely oversized yellow egg, which is upsetting to me because I don't want to know where big birds come from, you know? Yeah, it's fair. The dressing room is also full of chickens who are all about it. Yeah, it does imply that Big Bird's mom is somewhere laying eggs somewhere in the building. Or like Big Bird is also babysitting while he's here. Or she stole from, from Big Bird's mom. <laughs> Either way. Maybe. On the other hand, Big Bird's a six-year-old who lives by himself, so... He's an emancipated minor. <laughs> <laughs> is she informing him that he's about to become an older brother? Like, is this some earth-shattering news? Anyway... There are a lot of chickens hanging around this episode. They're hanging out in, for instance, Sattler and Waldorf's box. They're just chilling and singing along. And once again, totally off the beat. <laughs> Every time. They're chickens. I mean, and clearly nobody made them a chicken scratch track. Boo. We're going to go with cluck track. Both of you are fired. Uh, also, it seems like they ran out of time or pupils to finish building all these chickens. One of them, like, doesn't have pupils or, like, has mismatched pupils. They're I don't mismatched. Know what's like, they're, like, it's one crazy eye and one regular eye. It's very upsetting. One, like, tiny eye and one enormous eye. Like, yeah. and I, it doesn't seem intentional. Like, something's wrong. But we've seen, like, a whole coop full of chickens before. Maybe they took those eyes off that coop full of chickens and put them on somebody else, and now they're in trouble. They also might be the kind of puppets that are constantly breaking and needing to get refreshed. Maybe. Uh, Gonzo's trumpet quacks, and then two ducks respond and show up and hang out with him. And I I love knowing that they're two duck puppets. I don't know why. I'm, I'm just so charmed every time a duck shows up. Muppet ducks are great. Puppet ducks are great, but... It weirded me out that they quacked rather than, you know, speaking with British accents after the Ronald Duck Mickey Moose thing. I, I was expecting like a, oh, hello. And then when they quacked, I was like. But they're also can- Muppet Ducks who just show up and quack and cause chaos. I'm here for a chaos duck. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying it's rational. It, <laughs> it's just it's just deeply felt. I <laughs> mean. If if we ever sit down and plot out that hierarchy of which Muppets speak and which Muppets quack, we'll we'll have we'll have to negotiate what place ducks go in. The Muppet Joe backstage. Big Bird will figure into the plot eventually, but right now he's just here, wandering on stage. And also making a special appearance tonight is a friend of mine from Sesame Street, Big Bird. Uh, oh, hey, Kermit, now, huh, now? Uh, uh, not yet, Big Bird. You come on a little later in the show. Oh, okay, I'll just wait back here then. Yeah, just just watch out for the... <laughs> overhead lights. Okay, how low is the grid? I mean, Big Bird is eight feet tall. 
even the Muppet monsters, I don't know how many of them are big bird sized. Not many. The Okay, the lighting grid should be higher than eight feet is what I'm saying. Yes. But then when we go backstage and Big Bird is hanging out backstage and it turns out that like the second level where the dressing rooms are, are shorter than his head. It's a it's a Muppet sized theater, I guess, is what I'm saying. True, true. Still alarming. Yeah. Anyway, after Big Bird wanders on stage, whoa, 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 he wanders. Wait, wait, wait. No, oh, no, no, no. We cannot go past this without talking about how Kermit just is constantly referring to Big Bird of Sesame Street. You know, Big Bird from Sesame Street. My friend Big Bird from my old neighborhood, Sesame Street. Sesame Street has been on for 10 years at this point. It's a huge international phenomenon. Why is Kermit acting like we won't know who Big Bird is? From Sesame Street. I don't know. I mean, Big Bird being on primetime might feel unusual. I don't know. I don't have a good answer. I mean, I think about Sesame Street being under slightly different auspices. So, like, I mean, I, I can't imagine it's contractual. <laughs> right. <laughs> Must only refer to him by his full name, Big Bird from Sesame Street, where you can't use him. On The Muppet Show, if you just said Big Bird, that could mean any number of things. You have to specify which Big Bird. I mean, maybe it's a more specific way of saying, like, television's Big Bird. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And from Eight is Enough, Dick Van Patten. <laughs> right, but we don't get, and from backstage at the White House, Leslie Uggams, we just get <laughs> Miss Leslie Uggams. They do specify that Kermit lives on Sesame Street, so he's Big Bird's neighbor. Which also doesn't feel right in a Muppet Show universe. Yeah, that's weird too. Doesn't even really feel right in the Sesame Street universe. I never feel like Kermit lives there. That I've yeah, not really watched an episode who- in a very long time. He just but yeah, commutes. yeah, <laughs> yeah. He parachutes in to report on the conditions on Sesame Street, and then he goes back home just to his a gentrifier. <laughs> I just have a lot of questions about the Big Bird of it all in general because <laughs> it's not like they have him do much. Like, I don't know. I don't know what I was expecting. It's weird. And it's like, it is also weird because Carol Spinney is not on The Muppet Show. Unlike Bert and Ernie, who are played by Jim Henson and Frank Oz, who are always there. And they shot in London. So, like, the logistics of, like, having to get, I understand that that puppet, you know, traveled quite a bit. But, like, having to get Big Bird and Carol Spinney to the set was not nothing. Yeah, and to show up and just like weirdly awkwardly be there. Yeah. <laughs> I think his parts are some of the best parts of this. No, episode. I agree. No, I'm not mad that he's there, but I don't know. I don't know what I was expecting. I mean, I'm I'm a little unnerved by what happens to him, but let, let's say uh, yeah. It's funny cuz like as an adult the unnerving part is sort of my favorite part. I mean, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but like the collision of Sesame Street for for children and the Muppet Show, like being at its least for children, <laughs> is actually like what both the piggy scene and the Gonzo scene that, that we'll get to in a second is actually like maybe what I like best about this episode. So I, I'm not actually mad about it, but it is it it is a choice. Let's get into it. Yeah. Uh, okay, Big Bird has wandered on stage, and now he'll wander around backstage and stir up some other shit. Hi, I'm Big Bird. Huh, no kidding. I'm a friend of Kermit's. Oh. Yeah, we both come from the same neighborhood, 
Sesame Street. Oh, isn't that that cute little children's show with puppets? Uh-huh. Well, who are you? Who am I? I am Miss Piggy. Oh. Well, do you work around here? Like, these characters do not belong together at all, and that's sort of what's amazing about it. I mean, it is kind of amazing that Big Bird keeps doing his thing, where he laughs at the notion of a singing pig, ducks over as Miss Piggy is rearing back to give him a karate chop, and she flops right off of the balcony and falls into the backstage. It's at, while Big Bird is just, like, minding his own business and doesn't realize it, it's, it's kind of spectacular. As David alluded to earlier, the uh, Big Bird's height uh, really fucks up the um, the scale and uh, forced perspective of the backstage set. Yeah, it makes it look tall. like it's a dollhouse, or Big Bird is enormous, or both. Yeah, and when we do see like the taller monsters, they're usually all the way downstage, and he is right up against the balcony to talk to Piggy, and and he is he is too tall. Yeah, like it. <laughs> Unless he's a, a freak of nature, he shouldn't be able to look at Piggy at eye level <laughs> when she's on the second floor. I mean, he is a freak of nature. I mean, yes, but he's a regular character on a children's show. Yes. So he's not supposed to freak you out like that. Okay, so elsewhere backstage, things are heating up between Gonzo and Camilla. Oh, I'm so nervous. Tonight's our first formal date, and I'm almost sick with fear. Well, I imagine she feels much the same. Uh, you think so? Oh, boy. Suppose I get so excited that I faint. Gonzo, I just don't know. I, I suppose she'll have to give you mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. She'll have to what? Oh, or, in your case, mouth-to-beak resuscitation. <laughs> Are you okay? Of course. I was just rehearsing my faint. Yeah, the mouth-to-beak resuscitation joke is a tad more wholesome when they do it in The Muppets Take Manhattan, but really just a tad. It feels icky to me. Well, here it's icky because it's the implications that it's coercive. I don't remember the exact context in The Muppets Take Manhattan. Is it In The Muppets Take Manhattan, he gives her mouth-to-beak resuscitation and then he says, I don't know what happened, but I think we're engaged. Right. And she, but that's after she faints, like genuinely not like I'm going to fake a faint so that someone has to kiss me. Right. That's I, to me is the difference between like sort of charming and sort of gross. It's still odd. Anyway, while everybody's on stage, Gonzo and Camilla have a date because that's the way things go on the Muppet Show. Gonzo's clever ploy to show up in her dressing room and get her to kiss him doesn't work though because Camilla is busy sneezing. She's allergic to the flowers Gonzo brought. In fact, she is so allergic that she propels herself right out of her dressing room, and she somehow yeets herself through a window and onto the set of Muppet Labs. <laughs> it makes me laugh every time. It's, I mean, <laughs> and also it has the Gonzo whooshing sound effect when she whooshes out of the room, <laughs> which is great. I mean, I don't feel great about Gonzo feeling like he needs to con his way into a, a kiss on a date, but it's, it's also, a lot of fun. Yes. He says it's their first formal date. Does that mean that they've just been hooking up until now? That's a good question. Maybe they've been out for coffee, and this is like a bring flowers date. I don't. I mean, they have they really had a relationship until now? I feel like 
we've had this growing sense of Gonzo being connected to first birds and then chickens. But I don't think Camilla's really been singled out in this way until now. I am just saying the phrasing of it's our first formal date, as opposed to first date, suggests that there have been other interactions. Like group hangs. Maybe it's a situation where like they've been on some dates and now they're like going steady. It it feels like things are getting more serious when they've been casual. Sure. But it's still to your question, why does he have to coerce her into a kiss? Yeah. I'm... Well, I think that's about his low self-esteem more than anything. Sure. Can we talk about Camilla's dressing room? Yes. Yeah, the fact that she has a dressing room. <laughs> do do does every Muppet chicken have their own dressing room, first of all? Does every Muppet have their own dressing room? Apparently. How big is this theater? I ask Scooter's uncle. There's also a dartboard featuring Colonel Sanders, and there's hay. it's basically Miss Piggy's dressing room, but there's hay all over everything. As a person who also has a, a picture of Colonel Sanders hanging up, I appreciated that. Though mine is hanging up over my spices. <laughs> Do you also throw darts at yours? I don't throw darts at mine. Mine, my dad found it like at a yard sale or something, and it's autographed to the lovers of Great Chicken. <laughs> And do you only have 11 spices on your spice rack? Uh, no, I have way too many spices on my spice rack. <laughs> uh, listeners, Christy is from Kentucky, lest we forget. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate the context. But yeah, Camilla gets a dressing room. I mean, I guess for a lady with whom you need to book a formal date, I guess it makes sense that she is a, a lady of the kind of stature where you get your own dressing room. There's also a sweet little backstage spot where Leslie Uggams is just kind of interviewing Gonzo and she's asking what first attracted him to Camilla. Um, and Gonzo extols Camilla's virtues. And then he also says she's very talented and she just whooshes out and does this tiny flamenco number. <laughs> whooshes back off screen again. This, this is a promising budding relationship. Yeah, until. Okay, so uh, Miss Piggy does not care for Big Bird hanging around. But guess who does? Wow. Perfection incarnate. Wow. Statuesque and yet still poultry in every sense. You have that one thing lacking in chickens. Bulk. I'm so confused. You are so huge. I have no idea what you're talking about, sir. Oh, boy, oh, boy. It's so upsetting. It's even more upsetting than the chef wanting to cook Big Bird in Muppet Family Christmas. Is it? Yes. Okay. I mean, what upsets you more? People wanting to eat Big Bird or fuck him? That's a terrible choice. Uh, Nobody should make that choice. (laughs) Don't ask me that question. Both? First first one, then the other? (laughs) I mean, I love this. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. And I love it. I love Big Bird's reaction. Well, what's what's so just hard to wrap my mind around is that Big Bird is like entirely pre-sexual. Yeah. So he has no concept of any of what Gonzo is implying. Gonzo, on the other hand, seems like he'll fuck anything with wings. Yeah. I just think I just there's something about Big Bird's like just utter confusion that that 
I find very funny. And of course, as the reason he's so confused is he has a child, which makes it not okay at all. I don't know. I mean, it was funny when Big Bird is laughing at Miss Piggy and doesn't even realize that she is upset about his presence and has hurt herself. That's funny. And this is just a kind of a more inappropriate version of that dynamic. Big Bird doesn't realize what's going on. And there are grownups having grown-up feelings and inclinations, I guess. It's real weird. It's, and and you love it. I mean, I don't, I mean, yes, but no. I I love Carol Spinney's performance. Is that right? Is that mm-hmm. the, that's the right way that's, to say it? Like That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And like, does this confirm Gonzo's bisexuality? Or is he just into birds? Is he now a pedophile? Like, I don't want to, we're thinking, we can't think about it too much, can we? Nope. I will say, as a child, I was very confused about Big Bird's gender. As an adult, I'm still very confused about Big Bird's gender? I mean, a little bit. <laughs> because, like, right, I mean, from a, from a, from a gender essentialist binary standpoint, which is not a thing we do anymore, but as a, you know, five-year-old in 1980, it was, uh, <laughs> Big Bird reads kind of feminine and I knew that Big Bird was played by Carol Spinney and I didn't, oh. but I had never seen Carol Spinney and Carol to me is a girl's name <laughs> or was a girl's name when I was a child. I had never heard of a man named Carol. So I just, Even though there were two huge TV stars who were <laughs> right. named Carol. Well, and it's funny because right. And cause actually like I, we watched as we've discussed before, we've watched all in the family growing up. So like I in fact knew who Carol O'Connor was, but I did not make that connection. And so I thought the Big Bird was a girl. It made all the sense in the world. And at some point, like, Somebody referred to Big Bird as a boy, and I was very confused. And surely this episode of The Muppet Show did not help. <laughs> anyway, as far as Gonzo goes, to make matters even more foul, as the end credits roll, Gonzo reveals himself to be a, a chickenizer. Listen, chicky babe, you gotta forgive me. I'll never talk to another chicken again. Ah! Oh, hi, Camilla. Ah! Come on! Gonzo, you know, you're quite a shocker. I thought that Camilla was your one true love. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, uh, chickens all look the same to me. Jeez, hmm. Louise, Gonzo. He wrote a whole song for Camilla and then got distracted by Big Bird and then got distracted by another chicken, so I don't even know what to think. <laughs> all right. Uh, so we we go to some really interesting territory <laughs> With this week's musical numbers, we open with a song with a lot of enthusiasm and not a lot of pants. Hey there, good times, here I am. Welcome back, your baby land. Open wide them golden doors and set my chair down next to yours. I've been freezing, sneezing out there where the bad times grow. Oh my god, the key change in the middle of this mi- that gives me motion sickness. I hate it. <laughs> okay, but uh, <laughs> that's a personal problem. Uh, this is a song called Hey There, Good Times. That is from a musical called I Love My Wife from 1977 that had music by Cy Coleman and lyrics by Michael Stewart. And I Love My Wife was a musical about wife swapping in New Jersey. 
<laughs> yep. Another one? <laughs> Can't have too many. First day. Yeah, it was. Interestingly, it was another one of those Broadway shows that had a replacement cast of black actors like Hello Dolly, which I thought was mm. interesting. It also had a replacement cast of Smothers Brothers, which is super weird given the theme of the show. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Both Smothers Brothers? Yes. Yeah. Did they swap lives in real life? In real life? No idea. In, in the show, it's a bit... Spoiler alert for a 40-year-old musical, uh, it is a fake out. Like, they don't end up sleeping with anyone other than their own wives. They all they all chicken out in the end. Boring. Huh. I mean, I, I like that for brothers, as far as that goes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Don't sleep with your in-laws. But yeah, let, let's talk about the the monsters. This is full of monsters. We got uh, Sweetums. We got your Timmy monster. We got your dog lion. Mean Mama. Gorgon Heap. And a handful of mutations. And they're rocking the fuck out. They're having so much fun. I love it so much. Oh my god. Timmy Monster is living his best life. Oh my god. I'm so happy for him. (laughs) He's got a tambourine and nobody's going to take it away from him. This is the best day of his life. The other monsters are the band. Like, uh, it's just, it's really, it's a fun time. Uh, Now, I have some quibbles, mostly about Leslie Uggam's lack of pants. <laughs> I, I mean, why is that amazing for you? Need pants. I mean, it's just. You said she's wearing a blazer. She's okay. So she's wearing this like red, like uh, sequin blazer and a a red uh, beret. Tam. Yeah, it's somewhere between a tam and a beret. Um, <laughs> and and it's very cute. A bam. Like I'm, I'm not like. Oh my god, she must wear pants. It's just like the the length of the jacket is, is weird. You know, like it's one of those things where like I feel like if you're gonna do that, the, there needs to be anyway. We're not yeah, a fashion not podcast, like- but but it was also that thing where I'm just like, what? I mean, obviously she like has something on underneath it, but like, the, I think it bothers me more <laughs> because she's wearing like a shirt underneath the jacket Mm. yeah when Raquel Welch does it it feels deliberate here it feels like I think she's wearing underwear but it's kind of hard to tell and it like I can't tell whether she's fully dressed or not yeah it's it's unnerving um I mean it's a it's a cute look it's just unnerving yeah she looks great she does a great job all the monsters are having a wonderful time Sweetums has a freaking trombone, and also where are her pants? It all felt very Fosse to me, and and by extension, then very Liza to me. So that the outfit worked for me. It's also funny because all of her other outfits in the episode are so kind of like prim by comparison. <laughs> I mean, I realize that she's not Raquel Welch. She's not going to be, you know. I mean, she's prim on the top. Yeah. She's even got her head covered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's true. This is what I was alluding to earlier. I mean, more so the next number. But I, I agree with everything you, you guys just said. I It's great. The monsters are fun. Nothing against them. But I do wish she had just been able to do this, like, straighter, like a dance number with the mutations. Um, 
like Leslie Ann Warren got that whole Cassie moment that she couldn't really carry, and Leslie Leslie Uggams can carry it, and she is surrounded by Timmy Monster. <laughs> and this is like one of the most fun moments we've ever seen on the Muppet Show. I, <laughs> You're gonna I, wish it was something else. Yeah, I didn't think it was that much fun. I thought it was kind of messy, and Leslie Uggams is so good that I wish she had been shown off instead of upstaged by the monsters also i i just i i wish it were a better song too i mean i i don't i have a lot of quibbles with various songs in this episode but what i love every song in this episode i mean i except for the camilla song yeah oh yeah yeah no we'll (laughs) we'll get there but it's the key change i think it's it's mostly the key like the song just sounds woozy to me it just sounds like food poisoning at a gatsby party (laughs) (laughs) wow (laughs) well that number shows what a great actress leslie uggams is actress she wasn't acting she was singing yes but she looked like she enjoyed it that's acting (laughs) (laughs) uh do you want to introduce the musical bit and we can come back to the intro? I think I think we should talk about the intro first because when you reveal the title of the song, it's such like a beautiful aha moment. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So our, our our next number gets a little fishy. What does it take to become a great boomerang fish thrower? Well, you gotta have soul. And if you can't get soul, use halibut. <laughs> I shouldn't guess. But in that case, I use a catcher's mitt. Why? No, no, no. Don't tell me. Let me guess. Uh, just for the halibut? <laughs> You're catching on. <laughs> Listen, how did you acquire this talent? Was it an accident? No, it was on purpose. So for for those who don't recognize the voice, obviously that's Leslie Adams with Lou Zealand, our boomerang fish thrower, and uh, they're about to do what I think is a genius choice of musical number. Hit it. Here you go again. Looking better than a body has a right to, and shaking me up so that all I really know is here you come again. So this is Here You Come Again. It was a big, big hit for Dolly Parton in 1977. And I was shocked to learn that she didn't write it uh, because she writes a good chunk of her material. Um, But no, the song is written by uh, Barry Mann and Cynthia Weil, who are a a married couple who have written songs together since the early 60s. And uh, they themselves are in fact characters in a musical uh they're characters in beautiful the carol king musical and they've written a lot of songs uh that you've heard of they wrote on broadway make your own kind of music gotta get out of this place somewhere out there from an american tale uh they co-wrote you've lost that love and feeling with phil Spector, which is number one on that bmi's list of the top played songs of the 20th century uh, it was estimated that it was played over eight million times how many of those are the fault of Rebecca from Cheers, whose boyfriend <laughs> plays it on a radio station he owns all night because he knows what it does to her? Most of them, I would uh, <laughs> wager. Um, 
And of interest to Muppet fans, another thing I didn't know, they wrote the songs in Muppet Treasure Island. Huh. Bless their hearts. Yeah. Um, but back to Dolly. Always. She, always. Blessed be her name. This was her first big pop crossover hit. It hit number three on the Hot 100. Number seven on Cashbox. You know, Cashbox, it's just harder to crack. I don't understand mm-hmm. it. Uh, and it was number one on the country chart, uh, the, the Billboard country chart for five weeks. And she won the Grammy for Best Female Country Vocal Performance. But she was actually not the first person to record it. BJ Thomas was actually the first person to record it. And I have yet to locate his version of it, which I would like to hear. And again, here is Leslie Eggams being delightful and singing wonderfully while Fisher being hurled at her. I'm annoyed on her behalf. Yeah, Nobody's he's having great. a great That's time. That's what the puppet shows for. I know. But she, she doesn't get she doesn't get a single straight number. That's the like usually they're like the guest gets one. I mean, but. I would argue that her closing number is as close to a straight number as you get on the Muppet Show. Yeah, that's probably true. She also doesn't get to sing the full song here. That was my disappointment. I was like, I, I could have taken quite a bit more of it just to enjoy her singing it as fish were, you know, flying around her. But this is sort of the ideal New Zealand bit. Where it's not just about throwing fish, but it's about throwing fish in a way that has something to do with the song that they're doing. And then it levels up at the end when he throws swordfish. And uh, they come back at her and sort of land all around her as she stands against the wall like a like a, like a knife throwing, throwing swords. Yeah. Yeah. Like like Leslie and Warren's knife throwing act. Exactly. I do really appreciate the prop work there. I don't know how they did it actually but like the the wood behind her gets all splintered and and the, the holes the fish the fish are making are quite real which was nice yeah i think this is great i have no complaints i'm not offended on her behalf she sounds fantastic she's having a lovely time that reminds me this show has always reminded me of a sardine why it's a little fishy <laughs> <laughs> so we get something very melodramatic in the uk spot <laughs> it's also extraordinarily straight which is a funny thing to say about no coward song yes <laughs> <laughs> correct i know it's stupid to be mad about the frog i'm so ashamed of it but must admit the sleepless nights i've had about the frog the silver screen he melts my foolish heart in every little scene although I'm quite aware that here and there are traces of the cat about the frog so it's mad about the boy or frog depending on who's singing it uh it is, in fact, an old coward song from 1932. It was introduced in a West End review of his songs called Words and Music. And in that particular show, it was introduced by a quartet of women. But he'd written additional verses that made the song much more explicitly gay. But because it was 1932, you know, what are you going to do? And uh, funnily enough, Words and Music found its way to Broadway uh, seven years later in a revised version called Set to Music. Okay. Sure. The boy uh, in question uh, is rumored to be either Douglas Fairbanks Jr. or Tyrone Power, which Douglas Fairbanks Jr. was very good friends with Noel Coward. 
And Tyrone Power was an enemy. (laughs) (laughs) And the song was used to great effect in a commercial in 1992 for Levi's. It's a really weird commercial, but it involves this like guy like taking a shirt off and getting in and out of various swimming pools and a pair of Levi's. And uh, it's uh, underscored by a recording of it by Dinah Washington from 1961. And it was so popular that they actually released that as a single and it actually cracked the top 50 in the UK. (laughs) I do really like this. I mean, I'm going to just to stay on, um, on my bullshit. Uh, Miss Piggy gets a straightforward number, but Leslie Agams doesn't, but you know, the setup that it's, it's Piggy and the classic torch singer pose sitting on the piano with her legs crossed looking fantastic she looks amazing on top of a piano amazing uh with uh rolf playing and behind the piano is this fiddler puppet who was also in inchworm uh but there he was on the balcony with the weird uplighting looking all creepy <laughs> and but i like that they keep bringing him back he's kind of great um yeah sort of single single purpose springs. whatnot uh yeah. and i find him delightful bringing texture yeah I wouldn't necessarily characterize our next number as great stuff, but its composer certainly would. Yeah, Gonzo would. Oh, listen to the rhymes in the chorus. It's very cold portery. Camilla. You're sweeter than wine or vanilla. Camilla. <laughs> Come lie beneath this tree. It's a willa. Camilla. Camilla. I did grow Stella, Stella, Camilla. You're prettier by far than Godzilla. Camilla. I love this. I do too. I mean, it's cute. It's cute. Yeah, I mean, I don't hate it. I just don't think it lives on. All the other songs in this episode are songs that are like in regular rotation on my spotify or whatever and uh, this does not rise to that level maybe because it's not available (laughs) even if it was (laughs) so yeah this is just known as gonzo's song and it is in fact a muppet show original Uh, it has music by Derek scott and lyrics by jerry jewel and chris langham and we didn't hear it but Early on in the bit, Gonzo declares that he thinks that Mick Jagger or noted Joe Raposo, Stan Frank Sinatra will want to record this. So I appreciate his confidence. I don't understand it, but I appreciate it. And this is the number that is interrupted by Big Bird showing up. (laughs) And Camilla gets so ticked off that she drops a flower pot on Gonzo's head. And good for her. Yeah, that I think, I mean, we didn't, right, we were so focused on how creepy it is. I think that part of why I think the sketch works for me is that it is mitigated by Camilla's reaction, (laughs) justified reaction. Um, Very justified. This is the most agency we've seen any chicken have, I think. I mean, this is a chicken with her own dressing room. She's going places. Right. Well, I think like, and, and, and the reaction to Gonzo at the end, hitting on the wrong chicken too, like, like the show knows that this is not okay, which I think helps a little bit, and and lets Gonzo lets people have that reaction to Gonzo within the show. Also, um, you know, should it be played for laughs? Maybe not, but uh, they worked for me. So our our closing number unites both of our guest stars. <laughs> you you belong to me now. Ain't gonna set you free. 
free now. When those birds start hanging around, talk to me now. Here with your heart and you won't hear a sound. Just stop, stop, cause I really love you. Stop, stop, I'll be thinking of you. Look in my heart and let love keep us together. Okay, this is delightful. I, I, I will grant you that. So this is Love Will Keep Us Together, which was made famous by the Captain and Tennille in 1975. It was number one on the Billboard Hot 100 for four weeks that summer. And it uh, was also number one on Easy Listening and Cashbox. So that should tell you how big a hit it was. It it was so big a hit that the B-side of the single was a Spanish version. And that also charted. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, it hit number 49. But it was actually written by Neil Sedaka and Howard Greenfield and originally recorded by Neil Sedaka a couple of years earlier. And the album that Neil Sedaka put it out on is called The Tra-La Days Are Over. (laughs) What follows the Tra-La Days? (laughs) Tra-La Think I'm Sexy? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And something that always delights me when i remember it is that the captain and tenille uh so that they were were a married couple at the time they later divorced but the captain so so tenille is tony tenille who is still with us a singer um but the captain his, his real name is daryl dragon why would you not use the name daryl why dragon? not be dragon and tenille come on yeah okay but you've seen him right like this is if there's ever a man who looks like he should be called the captain sure it's this guy <laughs> Yeah, but like half of that, you know, heavy lifting is just done by buying the right hat, you know? Anyway, he is no longer with us. The backup birds in this are the the best part for me. I like them popping up from weird spots and just going, stop! So my big complaint about this is that they don't let leslie sing the bridge they turn that into a dance break and i'm sure that's because the lyrics in the bridge sort of cross it over from plausibly a song about friendship into a song that's actually about carnal love and it would be grossly inappropriate to have her sing that to big bird but it's also like the best vocal part of the song and so it sucks that she doesn't get to sing it you're saying this is appropriate when big bird slaps a leash onto her at the end (laughs) I'm saying that it would have been less appropriate. Because. Have we already forgotten Chris Christopherson and Rita Coolidge in the bar with the monsters singing about Were the there love? Were there leashes involved? Between a. No, the lyrics. <laughs> and the a lyrics. mystery character? <laughs> the inappropriate lyrics is all I'm saying. The leash was a bit much. I hope we have a gif of it. Uh. We don't, because I fully missed it. But we will. I will. Oh my god, it. Adam! <laughs> <And> we do. <laughs> You're busy admiring the birds. <laughs> I mean, even before we got to the leash, Big Bird saying "You belong to me now" was not my favorite moment of this episode. <laughs> At least it wasn't the other way around. Well, that depends on how you understand the gender dynamics of Big Bird and the age dynamics. Yeah, that's really what I meant. I wasn't thrilled about a, a lot about this number. They're clearly having a good time. Yeah. But I I get the feeling Big Bird is in over his very tall head. Yeah. I just found it a little dull, but apparently I need to watch it again because I missed some stuff. (laughs) 
<laughs> kind of zoned out, and I shouldn't have. Never mind that jazz. Listen, turkey. What? And get out of show business? Okay, so this week Muppet Labs has the answer to the energy crisis. Well, jeepers, you're about to witness the world's first demonstration of fireproof paper. Here is my assistant beaker carrying a lighted blowtorch. He will now show you how impossible it is to ignite the fireproof paper in this basket. There is no way this paper can burn. If it's fireproof paper, you'll always feel secure. Tune in next time and witness Muppet Lab's new answer to the energy crisis, flammable water. That's such a great last-minute explanation of this gag. <laughs> yeah, this is all fairly predictable, but the the, the scenario and the <laughs> flammable water hook at the end. And the way Bunsen says, well, jeepers. Yeah. Charming. What do you suppose they call that? A novelty act? I don't know, but it wasn't too bad. Well, that's a novelty. (laughs) We also have the debut of a new-to-us recurring sketch. It's the first appearance of Bear on Patrol. Now look, Sergeant, this is a very dangerous criminal. He should be locked up. I think he should be locked up. Here are the keys. I'll finish up the report. I'm going to lock him up. Well, I should have known better than to try to fool with you, Patrol Bear. Yeah, you're Don Putin. So it's a pig with the voice of Steve Whitmire and the hair of Fozzie Bear, who's arrested for impersonating an officer. (laughs) I mean, it'd be one thing if he was just wearing a wig like some pigs do, but it's a wig that has Fozzie Bear's fur. And like, is that part of the impersonation? Right. It's so, it's such a strange conceit. I I stared at it, trying to figure out if Fozzie just had his hand on the pig's head to try to direct him you know, into the station and then realized it wasn't. And just, I, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, no, it's a Fozzie skin wig. It's a, it's a fun scenario though. He, he tricks Fozzie into the cell. He says, after you. And Fozzie says, oh, thank you. And steps inside. <laughs> the impersonator walks away and Link thinks that Fozzie is the impersonating perp who's locked in the cell, claiming that he wants to get out. Baron Patrol just hits different in 2022. Yeah, all cops are bears. <laughs> all, all pigs are also bears. Apparently. Yeah, and all cops are pigs, right? There you go. Like I know intellectually that it was a recurring sketch on the Muppet Show, but I don't really have any specific memories of it. Yeah, there were like a dozen episodes. This is the joke. Like it, it's it is going to be that they're stupid. So it's not like it's not propaganda. Like I think it's fine, but um, it just wasn't that funny. But we've seen other recurring sketches get better over time. So I think this will too. Yeah, we'll give it a chance. And this starts from a pretty good place. Like my biggest complaint is that horrible wig. That's not yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah. So I want to know why there are wanted posters for Doctor Teeth, Floyd, Animal, Janice. And Statler. They know what they did. Just Statler. There's this thing where Link is typing a report, and he makes a single typo and then uh, crumbles out the paper and throws it on the ground. Like, I know that Link is stupid, but Whiteout existed. He can be a stupid perfectionist. It's Link. I would have started over if it were me. Okay, we got to talk about the Venda Wish thing. Formerly known as Venda Face. 
a machine who promises to fulfill your desires. It looks very similar to Vendaface, only now it just makes different promises. So a whatnot comes along, wants to be taller. Vendawish extends his freaky robot arms and stretches the guy's neck out by a couple of feet. Voila, you're taller. The whatnot now goes backstage with a new dilemma because he has this two-foot neck, and Bunsen Honeydew solves it for him. He uses what he calls our latest therapy technique. He swings a bat at the guy's head, the guy ducks, his neck squashes back down, and then here is one of my favorite bits of the whole episode. Kermit is just like rushing by to get on stage. He trips over the guy and falls down. There's, there's no fanfare. It just happens. And then he yells at Bunsen and says, if you're through playing with him, put him away. It's very good. Yeah. The Vendowish sketch itself is like fine, but Kermit falling down is marvelous. I also just love seeing Bunsen backstage. I would like more of that. Yeah. Yeah. Swinging bats around. <laughs> That's what I was talking about 12 hours ago uh, about like how the, the crossover, right? It's not a plot, but just like, you know, Camilla sneezing and landing on the lab set. This, the Vendaface guy showing up backstage and Bunsen being there. I love all of that interplay. It just makes it feel like it's a single world. I really yeah, like that. it's very cohesive. It seems we've reached the end of another episode of Muppeturgy. Does anyone have final thoughts? Cute. Cute episode. I really did like this episode. I know I kept harping on <laughs> the Leslie Agam <laughs> thing, but it's only because I like her so much and I want more of her. I thought this episode was great. Well, before we go... It's the new year, and I would like to invite you all to make a New Year's resolution, which is to resolve to leave us a great rating and review in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever else you listen to podcasts, but especially the Apple one, because I don't know. I feel like that's the one that people look at, even though I don't all the other podcasts say. I don't (laughs) the only reason I know that to be true. I don't know. Spotify is probably helpful too. There are algorithms involved, and it's how people, new people, find the show. You can also tell your friends and post on whatever social media still exists. Yeah, resolve to get us into people's Spotify rap this year. There you go. Yeah, also, resolve to buy some Muppeturgy merch. Muppeturgy.com slash store. public, Get into it. And... Get that clown shirt. If, if so you have stuff that you want to see on our merch, let us know. Come to Muppeturgy.com. Put it in the comments. Yeah, we've got uh, some others planned. You know, we the, the store will expand. Yeah, the the text only things are very easy. So if there's something stupid that we say that you want on a t-shirt, <laughs> we can make yeah, it happen. You'll look at the store <laughs> and it'll be clear that we've cranked these out pretty quickly. <laughs> but the quality is very nice. I, I would like to stress that the T public does really good work, even if we do really goofy looking work. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We have we have already received our t-shirts and stickers and they're great. Have we ever said that this show is for the birds? Yes, and we'll keep saying it till it gets a laugh. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Muppet Clergy. Join us in two weeks for a discussion of the Elky Summer episode of The Muppet Show. You can find us on whatever social media still exists at this point at Muppeturgy or on the web at muppeturgy.com. Don't forget, you can find our merch at muppeturgy.com slash store. Our theme music was composed and performed by Christy Bauer. Our show logo was created by Todd Brian Backus. And this episode was edited by me, David Levy. You're all perverts. She doesn't need pants. <laughs> <laughs>